You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. Jeremiah chapter 18. I want to preach to you one of two parts of a sermon that I've entitled Who's Shaping Who? Who's Shaping Who? Look at what Jeremiah 18, 18 says. It says this, Then certain ones said, Come, let's make plans against Jeremiah, for instruction will never be lost from the priest, or counsel from the wise, or a word from the prophet, come, let's denounce him and pay no attention to all his words. That word denounce here literally means to slay him, but as you see it, it has the idea that it's verbal or oral. This would be a, a campaign, a verbal campaign to assassinate Jeremiah's character so that no one would listen to him. And when you read that verse, you're left to ask yourself, what did Jeremiah say that set all these people off? And it started with a trip to a potter's house. I want to ask you a question. Are you willing to see the hand of God in shaping nations? Are you willing to see the hand of God in shaping nations? In the tearing down of the Berlin Wall, are you willing to see that God may have been judging the sins of communism? Almost 420,000 Americans gave their lives in World War II. Are you willing to see that God may have permitted their ultimate sacrifice to judge the sins of Hitler's Germany? Are you willing to see that God may have permitted over 620,000 of the children of America to give their lives on the battlefields of the Civil War to deal decisively with the sin of slavery in our own country. I do not possess a supernatural gift of prophecy like Jeremiah to tell you with 100% accuracy that that exactly was what God was doing. Yet, biblically, it's possible. Biblically, it's possible. Let's make it even more personal, church. Are you willing to see the hand of God shaping the United States of America, our dear homeland? It gets a little personal. And we're starting to find out what made the people of Judah so upset with Jeremiah. 
Let's go back to Jeremiah. God's people, the people of Israel, the Jews, were steeped in personal and national sin. They were abandoning God. And we'll speak about that more next week. And God called Jeremiah to prophesy or speak to them that God will destroy them if they continue in this rebellion. The king of the Jews at the time when Jeremiah began prophesying was a man named Josiah. And Josiah begins to reform the nation after about five years of Jeremiah's preaching. He kind of gets the message and goes, maybe we should do something about this. And here's what he does. His first, one of his first orders of business as king of Judah, Josiah orders the repair of God's temple. Now this should tell you how far the people of God had gone. To King Josiah's amazement, the high priest, this is the leader of their religion, actually among the repairs finds the book of the law. That's the first five books of the Bible. That's what they had at that time. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Could you imagine? Think about this. Let's just put it into our context today. That if America drifted so far away from God that one day somebody just happened to stumble in a basement of a church and found a Bible. Going, wait, what is this? We've never seen or heard from this. When they find that book and they begin to read it to King Josiah, King Josiah is remorseful and he begins to obey God's laws and purge the nation of idolatry so as to avert disaster. You can read this about in 2 Kings. And believe it or not, there was a prophetess, Hilda, or Hulda, who actually went to King Josiah and said, because of your repentance, God's going to delay it until you're not around. You won't see it happen, King Josiah. Because there's, there's another element to this repentance than just the king. So there is a glimmer of hope when the people rediscover the word of God. But Jeremiah is still skeptical about this national reformation or revival because he knows what God told him back in Jeremiah chapter 1, that God had called him to build up nations and to tear down nations. And Judah looked like they were a part of that second scenario. So we're left with the question, well, what's God going to do? Are, are his people going to repent? And in fact, God continued to bless them. And here's the question for us today. In 2019, in the United States of America, how does God shape nations? How does God shape America? My question is, who's shaping who? Let's read Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down at once to the potter's house, and there I'll reveal my words to you. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, working away at the wheel. But the jar that he was making from the clay became flawed in the potter's hand. Let's just stop right there. I've tried to uh, really utilize sermon props for Scotland, so we're going to use Play-Doh for just a minute. <laughs> this Play-Doh here we bought last night. Scotty picked it. 
And this Play-Doh, this is fresh. Y'all, you should come smell it. You ever smell the, the, the smell of fresh Play-Doh? Mm, everybody's like, yes, we have. It's terrible. But see how moldable it is? Oh, it's so soft and good. My stress is just leaving me as I'm doing this. But it's still at that place, right, where I can make it into anything that I want it to be. It's moldable. It's changeable. It'll do my bidding, so to speak. Last night, I came back to church. I was printing off some things for beach camp. And I thought, you know what would be a better illustration, though? And you've had this happen. I know if you have a a, a small child in your home. Anybody ever had their Play-Doh left open all night? The feeling is just not the same, right? It crumbles, and the smell is terrible. And look how it cracks. It's become defective. It's hard to restore. It's hard to do just anything I want with it. Now, this is what's happening. As he's saying this, he said, that first piece of clay that Jeremiah saw the potter dealing with was much like the red piece. Could do whatever the, the, the potter wanted. But as he began to work with it, it somehow, we're not told how, it just becomes defective. Now the potter has to look at it, and he's got a decision to make. Is he going to throw it at the cat and move on? I don't like cats. Uh, Or, and I'm allergic to dogs. That should tell you how much I hate cats. I'm joking. Or, does he go, wait a minute. I can still do something with this. Even though it's beyond my original intention. Let's look at the next verse, or the last half of verse 4. Listen to what he did. So he made it into another jar as it seemed right for him to do. Well, praise God. That piece of clay, so to speak, wasn't beyond redemption. God had good intentions. He goes, you know what? I can't carry out what I originally wanted to do, but I'm not just going to discard it or throw it away. I can do something else with it. So let's give it a shot. Now, we got to get more personal because just if we preached on the parable alone, that's not helpful. God actually interprets the parable of the potter for us. Let's look in verses 5 through 7. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He's going to let me explain to you what you just saw. House of Israel, this is the people of Judah, can I not treat you as this potter treats his clay. This is the Lord's declaration. Just like clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, house of Israel. This is the whole nation. This is the whole people. Verse 7, at one moment I might announce concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will uproot, tear down, and destroy it. Now this is amazing. Notice the sweeping statement concerning how God shapes the nations. This is not just about Israel and Judah. Israel and Judah are included. But look at that first half of verse 7. He says, I might announce concerning a nation or a kingdom. Please see this. God's dealings with nations are not just restrictive to his covenant nations. 
This is what we have to accept. God is sovereign over the nations, whether they have a Judeo-Christian origin or not. God is God. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. Every nation, doesn't matter who you are, will answer to Him. So what God is doing here, He's not just revealing a truth particular to Judah or Israel. He is revealing a universal, timeless truth that transcends cultures and kingdoms. I am God. I am the potter. No nation, not even Judah, can escape the hands of the potter. None. America, and listen, America can separate church and state. And by and large, if you don't know anything about Baptist history, we're for that. We don't want the state telling us what we can say from this pulpit. We want to separate them. But I do have a word from the Word of God. You will never separate God from America. Now here's what I'm saying. You can take out the Ten Commandments. You can do all that. But I want you to know, we're still a clay nation. We're not the potter. We can't just shoo God away. God goes, you, you apparently have forgotten how this relationship works. I'm the potter. You're the clay. Not the other way around. We can never declare our independence from God. I mean, you can try it. He's not going to listen. <laughs> you can say it. You can try to throw him off. He'll just shrug his shoulders because he won't go quietly. Only God has the freedom to do anything. Okay? Not us. We love to talk about our freedoms. We don't have that kind of freedom. So what does God do? This is important. You need to pay attention. This affects you. I'm not just talking about leaders and national policy. You need to carry on with me. Look at what it continues to say in that rest of the verse 7. He says, I might announce concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will uproot, tear down, and destroy it. However, if that nation about which I have made the announcement turns from its evil, I will relent concerning the disaster I had planned to do it. Look at verse 9. At another time, I might announce concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it. However, if it does what is evil in my sight by not listening to me, I will relent concerning the good I had said I would do to it. Now notice what happens. God gives us two straightforward and opposite scenarios. He's giving them to us today. I need you to listen to them. Not like they were just given to ancient Israel in 700 B.C. I'm talking about he's given this same scenario to you and I and to the rest of America in 2019. And notice what happens in both scenarios. Who takes the initiative to say what's going to happen? Say it loud, church. God. Ah. Might announce. It starts with him. But here's what's so amazing. After he makes an announcement, he includes that little word, if. If. Now, one commentator has called this concept responsive sovereignty. And I kind of like that. 
God is free. He can, will, and does assert his own right as the sovereign over the nations. At the same time, he is equally free, can, and will, does give nations a zone of freedom. Now please don't see freedom as unlimitless freedom to do whatever we want, even at the expense of disobeying God. That's how we like to interpret freedom. That's not biblical freedom. He says, I might bring you into being and give you a zone of freedom to say, if you'll obey me, I'll bless you. And so we see two scenarios. The first scenario is God may decide to destroy an evil nation, but in this zone of freedom, if they repent, he will have compassion on them and he'll turn his wrath or anger away based on their response to his word. The second scenario is that God may plan to bless a nation, but if those people do evil and they continue in it, he will judge them instead. He can't bless them any longer. So together, God's divine initiative and sovereignty and a nation's response and obedience to him come together to shape that nation. In light of both of these truths coming together, Judah is exhorted to choose carefully which scenario it wants. Whichever scenario you want will determine your future, and God will execute one either way. Here's the simple truth. Write this down. You need to bank this. Live on this. Pray on this, preach on this, vote on this, any kind of civic duty, you need to do this with, with this in mind. God reshapes nations by their response to His Word. God reshapes nations by their response to His Word. We, here's, think of it, we don't have the potter's ability to do whatever we want, right? The potter comes in and goes, this is my intention, and here's my announcement concerning what I'll do to you. Now, how will you respond to me? Because how you respond to me determines what happens with your nation. It's that simple. So what does that mean for you and I in 2019 in the United States of America? According to Jeremiah 18, 9, notice what it says. I'll just read it one more time to make sure you got it. At another time, I might announce concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it. Verse 10, however, if it does what is evil in my sight by not listening to me, I will relent concerning the good I had said I would do to it. America, I can say this biblically. I have complete authority to do this. America was built up and planted by God. I really believe that. He's responsible for our nation's existence. There is no doubt in my mind that God has shed His grace on America. The Constitution of the United States is based mainly upon Judeo-Christian values. God has blessed America and He has used her to bring tyrants to justice. 
and to pioneer in the work of global missions. But at the end of United States history, God is still the potter and we are still the clay. I believe America, like Judah, is in this second scenario. America must repent of hatred, violence, wastefulness, laziness, racism, injustice, selfishness, materialism, and all forms of sexual immorality. The two most burning issues at this very moment in our nation are life and eternal life. God judged both Judah and a non-covenant nation, Nineveh, for the shedding of innocent blood. I want to put this into perspective for you. The total number of Americans killed in all U.S. wars is more than 1.1 or 1.2 million. Tomorrow we honor those who gave their lives to secure the freedoms we enjoy. Let it be said, we're here able to preach without fear of persecution because of 1.1 million people gave their life. I have no problem at all honoring them. It is due to them. But can I put this into perspective? And, and I submit it with gentleness and respect, and it is excruciating to talk about. From 1973 through just 2011, this is not the complete data, but according to AGI and other resources, the CDC, over 40 million legal abortions have occur occurred in the U.S. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll take a day tomorrow rightfully to honor 1.1 to 1.2 million Americans who laid down their lives and shared their, shed their bloods their blood for our freedom and over a span of 30 to 40 years over 40 million people have died legally murdered we'll talk about it more next week but I'll, is this our sin or is that God's judgment And I want to tell you what happens. I can't change the laws. I'm just one vote like the rest of you. But what can I do maybe over a domain that I do have? I'm a pastor of a small rural church in Demers, Georgia. Here's what I can tell you. We've preached sex outside of marriage or wedlock to the point of stigmatizing pregnancy. And what I mean by that is, yeah, this, what happened may be a sin, but let me tell you, children, period, no matter the circumstance, are a gift from God. Amen. Period. Period. And so, if you're a young woman who has an unplanned pregnancy, I want you to know that our church will see it as planned because it came from God. There's no shame. There's no guilt. We celebrate you and that beautiful baby. And we'll not just celebrate church. We've got to be willing to get out our wallets and contribute if that be the case. 
we're going to have to put our money where our mouth is on this issue. Because this is beyond just a vote. This has to be a complete culture change in the church about how we address the issue of abortion. And until it becomes excruciating for us to address, until we, we want to burst into tears, we probably should keep our mouth shut and just lead the way by example. But if you've come to a point where you go, I can grieve and mourn over this, then speak up. Because I think the church and the world right now doesn't need to see a church that's just seething with anger. I read in my Bible, anger doesn't lead to righteousness. But those that mourn will be comforted. That's a promise. And I'm getting more and more to the place that as I see this happen, it affects my heart. Not just my mind. I know it's wrong. Ladies and gentlemen, I know I'm riffing for just a minute. This is important. Science has shown us that human life begins at conception. The debate today is whether that being is a person. How they function in the world. And this is why, where science has to stop for a moment. Because science cannot tell you what constitutes personhood. This is where religion has to speak up. It does. Because here's how I can know whether you're the smallest millisecond old or you're 140 years old. The reason we should protect your life is because you're made in the image of God. And science will never give you that. No philosophy will ever give you that. And so you need to at least understand, be a little sympathetic. They don't see it like we see it. Do you see that? We're on opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to that viewpoint. But I'll tell you, this is just deep in my soul. I can't say, it, thus saith the Lord. But I can say, looking at the biblical examples, we can go look at it in Jeremiah 19 and Nahum chapter 3. When God sees cities filled with blood and violence, that's a good sign that his judgment is coming. And yet, abortion or permitting it to go along, it is not the unforgivable sin. I know the statistics. There's probably someone in here who has. God can forgive you. We hold nothing against you. None of us are perfect. None of us are. It can easily be removed by the blood of Jesus just like any other thing. There is one sin, though, that is unforgivable. And I need you to hear this. It's the sin of unbelief. Listen to what Jesus said about your response to him, whether you decide to repent of your sins and trust Jesus as your Savior. Listen to what it says in Matthew chapter 10, verses 14 through 15. He's talking about sending his disciples out to preach the gospel of the kingdom. So a disciple comes and knocks on your door and goes, I got good news, the king's here. What happens if they reject a disciple preaching the word of God? Listen to this. He says, if anyone does not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet, saying, hey, you tried, you gave it your best shot. And when you leave that house or town, listen to this, truly, he says, he amen himself, amen. I tell you, it'll be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. But that should show you how severe unbelief in Jesus is. We, we kind of pick on Sodom and Gomorrah for their sin of homosexuality. It's worse than homosexuality. It's to stay in unbelief. 
Listen to another instance in Matthew 12, 41. Matthew 12, 41. This is, the men of Nineveh will stand up at judgment with this generation, the, the generation Jesus preached to, and condemn it because they repented at Jonah's preaching. And if you never heard Jonah's sermons like eight words, the Lord's going to overthrow you in 40 days. I hate your guts. I'm gone. He did not want to preach. And they turned. He says, on judgment day, he says, you sit here and reject me. And the men of Nineveh goes, we had Jonah as a preacher and repented. You had Jesus, the Son of God. Because he said, something greater than Jonah is here. Listen, I don't want America to become a theocracy. Oh, no. Ooh. So what do I want? Now what? Now what? Well, God answers it. Look at verse 11. He's going to give you the practical implication. So now, say to the men of Judah and to the residents of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. Look, I'm about to bring harm to you and make plans against you. Turn now each from your evil way and correct your ways and your deeds. God will not save us personally, as a family, as a church, as a community, as a nation, without repentance. Repentance. Now what is repentance? It's a big Bible word. Repentance is turning from evil ways. Turning from your evil ways. The picture is that of a person who's headed in one direction and they turn around and go a different direction. That's repentance. And so there's three things that are involved in repentance. Number one, and you can write this down in your notes, we must stop. <laughs> the first thing you got to do is, is actually stop. We cannot continue in our evil. We cannot continue in our sin. We cannot continue to practice it. And some of us have gotten really good at it. But I want you to think of this, just stopping our evil ways, just stopping it is not good enough. That's not repentant, what repentance says. He doesn't just say stop, he says turn or correct. And here's the second one, we must turn. We must turn around and face the opposite direction. And what will you see if you stop and you turn? You will see the face of God. You'll see Jesus himself hanging on a cross, shedding his blood for your sins. Will you acknowledge that it's your sins that put him on the cross? Will you ask that Savior bleeding on the cross for forgiveness of sins? And will you receive his Holy Spirit into your heart who can reshape your life? That's what we're saying. I'm not just looking for a moralistic culture where we just simply don't do this. I want us to turn and embrace Jesus and everything He has to offer. Teach us to obey everything Jesus commanded. It is good. It is satisfying. It will change us through and through. And when are we to do it? Notice what this text says. Now. Number three. We must now. We must do this now. Please listen. 
This turn should be immediate. It should happen in your heart and in your soul while you're sitting in your seat this moment. If you do not turn now, I cannot guarantee you you'll live another moment to have the opportunity. And who is to turn? See, when we tend to think of national sins, we tend to think, well, the president and Congress and the Supreme Courts and our governors and our state reps, they all should turn. But I want you to see who it's addressed to. He, he stopped speaking politically for a moment and God says, so now talk to the men of, of Judah and its residents. Talk to the citizens. Talk to the people that comprise the nation and tell them to turn. Who is to turn? It's not just something that happens on a national or a corporate level. The turn here is the actual people themselves. It's you and I. Do you understand God could judge this nation for how you and I respond to this message? You say, I didn't think I carried that much weight. Yeah, this don't work like voting. It doesn't. He's looking at his church because judgment always starts in the family. Where are we as a church? Start here. If you want to clean the streets, you start at your doorstep. We don't walk over the trash on our own yard and then go out to the streets and go, oh, it's nasty out here. Well, look at your yard. You're making the mess. We've got to turn and repent of our sins and trust Christ alone in our own lives to disciple our family into the gospel, to have the gospel resound throughout our church, to call people to repentance here. How can we sit there on a national platform and call people to repentance? We won't even call people to repentance in our own churches. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. And so God is calling every man, woman, and child to repent. Each of us, including myself, must turn from our own way. Some of you may be offended by the message. I'll submit this to you gently and respectfully, but only proud center, sinners can't enjoy God's good news. Only proud sinners can't enjoy it. And there's only two kinds of people and only two. There are proud sinners and forgiven sinners. The question before us is which one are you going to be? Will you come humble and ask God to forgive you and reshape you? And what you'll find, according to this verse, He's quicker to forgive and reshape than you are quicker to repent. I'll say it one more time. He is quicker to forgive and reshape than we are to repent. So if you'll come, I can guarantee on the basis of Jesus' death and resurrection, He will forgive you and He will change you. He's the potter, we're the clay. Who's shaping who? Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.